0: Let's talk about setting the mood. That's right, the mood. You know, when you want to get intimate or perhaps after you've gotten intimate, be it by yourself or with a partner, there's something you need to have on your nightstand. Maud. Maud is redefining what sexual wellness and modern intimacy look like. They're creating this whole new chapter in the outdated sexual wellness industry. Maud makes modern, body safe, and high quality essentials for before, during and after sex. They have a whole variety of products like vibrators, lubricants, and condoms. Their products are absolutely beautiful, seriously, with a lot of attention to detail, design, sustainability, and simplicity. So basically, if your sexual wellness had a name, it'd be Maud. Honestly, these products, you want them to be seen in your bedroom. You don't wanna hide them. One of the coolest things about Mod is that it's female led and Latinx founded. So their founder, Ava, created Mod for all bodies, all genders, and all races. And guess what? You are all getting a treat from Mod. As our partner, Mod is giving you $5 off your first orders on all products with the code BOOKCLUB. Head over to getmod.com, that's getm-a-u-d-e-mod.com, Maud, and use promo code BOOKCLUB for $5 off your first order. Enjoy setting the mood. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, hello friends. Welcome to Feminist Book Club, the
1: podcast. I'm Ra and today I am joined with East SM. East is an Appalachian occultist, diviner, educator, artist, performer, and now an author with her debut novel titled Mercy's Quest to be released on June 21st, 2022, which is the summer solstice. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me, East.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So before we Completely dive into this podcast or into this interview. We always like to ask our guests one thing What does feminism mean to you?
2: So, to me, feminism, the definition, I'm in my mid 40s. So, that's kind of changed a little bit as I've grown through. So, currently, I'll just address the present kind of circumstance. I'm still trying to be seen, you know, in the community as a spiritual person. I come from an area where when you talk about any kind of spiritual topic, it's still very patriarchal in that view. And so, you know, being a feminist is just being able to take what I bring into this world, what I can be responsible for as a teacher, as a spiritual leader in my community, and make sure that I'm giving back uh, to other women that are trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do.
1: Heck yeah, raising each other up. And we, uh, we all love that. <laughs> awesome. I got to ask. The summer solstice, I I know what it means to me, but why did you decide that you wanted Mercy's quest to be released on that day?
2: I think because I'm a person that lives my life very heavily with symbolic sight. And so in my personal practice, I do things by the phases of the moon. I honor all the Sabbaths. And what I loved about the summer solstice is that symbolically, it's a time where we kind of celebrate all the hard work that we've put in for the year. And i put so much work into this book, years of work. I wanted to come out with that kind of energy of celebration and joy and just really trying to uh, put a good foot out energetically for myself, not just my product, because it took a lot of courage (laughs) for me to kind of step into this world. I'm a performance artist, so my art comes from a different area. And I just wanted to set myself up to succeed energetically in terms of confidence. And I felt like doing that on the summer solstice put a good foot forward.
1: Oh, I love that. And yes, like the summer solstice always has such a spiritual meaning to me about like starting anew and growing even more, you know, um, and I think that's great for your personal journey. And you said that you're a performer, you started off as a, per- as a performance artist what made you, what pushed you to start writing, especially in a niche genre like occult fish fiction?
2: So as a performance artist, I I've always loved expressing my own personal views through I'm, I'm a dancer. I do a lot of aerial movement. I'm a local aerial instructor. I'm a plus size person. And so a lot of my students have, you know, curvy bodies and we're not like the traditional thing that you see in that world. <laughs> so I loved being able to take that art form and express kind of the darker expressions of what, what turns me on in art, you know? And so someone said one day, I, I do my own shows. They were like, you know, just in reading your social media post and taking some of your dance classes. And one of my classes is it's an embodied experience. So I do a lot of lecture at the beginning of that class. And my students and my family have just been saying hey we've been reading a lot of the things that you write in these workshops that you kind of facilitate or or in your your classes you know we really think that you need to pursue writing and so to make a longer story very short my dad of all people um turned to me one day and said i think you need to write a book and he's the type of person that worked a lot growing up and, you know, we just really didn't share a lot of my artistic parts of living together. And so for him to actually be invested in that and believe in me, it just took pretty much him specifically giving me the confidence to do what I've been doing for over 25 years, but do it publicly and, and put it out there in the world. And so, and of course occult fiction, I come from a very interesting, unique family. It's a part of my culture and my history, and so I can, I can only write what I know. I think I'm that person. I know there's a lot of really talented writers that can research and dig into all these spaces that may not really reflect their experience in the world, but um, I feel like I've had a pretty unique experience in the world, and when you attach fiction to that, ergo, here is Mercy's Quest. <laughs> yeah. and can you tell us a little bit about Mercy's Quest at all? Sure. So it's based on a woman who discovers this family talisman and all this history of her past starts to surface. And within that surfacing, she's presented with this opportunity to go on a journey to kind of find out more of who she is. And then as you go with her on this journey, Uh, because the main trope is obviously a quest, a hero's quest or a fool's journey. If you're into tarot, it's very reflective of the fool's journey. And so you're gonna kind of embark on this journey with her and much like most beautiful odysseys, it's really the interactions that she has with the characters and, and the choices that she makes to get to this kind of end goal is what really truly creates the story. And so book one is really a lot of setting up the world and getting her to the begin beginning of that phase. And then book two will actually kind of dig a little bit more uh, into the actual journey. And you're going to find her all over the world. She's in space. <laughs> She's in Europe. <laughs> She's in New Orleans. She's everywhere.
1: Amazing. Um, and did you kind of decide that she was going to start traveling around the world throughout your own travels? Or where did that kind of pop up or that just kind of felt right for Mercy's Quest.
2: Absolutely. You know, I'm the person that grew up in a pretty impoverished area in Appalachia, never had an opportunity to travel growing up. And fortunately for me, I got a job with a local university that allowed me to travel. And in doing that, I got the bug to want to see other places. And I did everything I could to see certain parts of the world. And in doing that, I think as a person that comes from a certain kind of background when you haven't had a lot of opportunity or you've grown up around a lot of hunger or uh, you've been in a a space where there's not been a lot of resources, you see the world when you finally do get that experience in such a unique way. And I wanted to reflect that in this book. So every space that you read about that Mercy goes to is, is spaces that I've actually spent time in And there's a lot of my honest reflection in her and in that character. And I wanted to be able to provide a perspective of a strong woman that came from probably next to nothing in terms of resources that still maintained awe and wonderment and growth when she challenged herself in spaces outside of what she was used to. And I felt that was really important for me because where I'm from, and I know this is really hard to frame up for some folks, there's still spaces in Appalachia that, 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 that don't have internet, that they don't, they still don't have that access to the outside world. And you know, certain folks that are over a certain age, they don't remember what life was like without that kind of resource. And so you have to imagine, you know, in terms of what technology does as a positive, is bring influence and inspiration and growth into an area. So there are certain parts that are still, I guess, we would say, pure <laughs> in Appalachia. But you know, because of that lack of resource, they're also missing out on certain things. And so I was my main goal, uh, you know, with this story as a writer, knowing other, you know, women that come from the same kind of circumstance that have the same mountain witchy kind of family, because there's a lot of that where I'm from. I want to be able to show folks, you can take this experience that you've dreamed up and live in and and express that in ways that can remove you outside of that circumstance. And there's a lot of folks that I've grown up with that never left that life and still feel kind of limited in in certain ways. And so I'm hoping just the sheer act of me putting this book out in the world, if it influences 15 people where I'm from, I will consider that a success. Yeah, that's a, it's a big step. Um, and I
1: only say that because I grew up in a rural part of Minnesota where my stepbrothers, uh, they've never been outside of the state and it was just never really an opportunity that was presented to them. And, uh, don't think any of them have left the country or really have tried to travel. And it's just something that doesn't seem feasible. So, and it's a scary thing to think about too. And especially if you are a woman and traveling alone, travel can be scary.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. I've had
1: some scary circumstances myself. Like I, I don't get out very much, but I'm also don't have a lot of resources to do it. I wish I did. Uh, But even if I did, I don't even know if I could take that leap to go by myself. And I always give so many snaps to people who do travel solo because it just, it looks so empowering. And I'm happy that you got to do it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you, I had a lot of parties in my home where we would take money at the door and just raise money and and we would do whatever we could to go on these trips and and stay in hostels and eat cheese sandwiches. So by by no means was the travel luxurious to some folks' standards, but I really enjoyed being able to do what I needed to do to just experience it. And I think, you know, you as someone that comes from a similar circumstance, it's just, it's amazing to see how other cultures kind of, you know, the energy of different spaces. I went to Stonehenge and and the Cliffs of Moher in Ireland and just to be able to absorb that energy when as a book lover I've read about I've read about those places forever it's amazing I Mm -hmm. highly recommend that you do whatever you can to to do it (laughs) I
1: mean I would love to feel the energies of Stonehenge but maybe in like five years once the the whole uh whole world can start functioning a little bit more normal you know (laughs) right I hear (laughs) you Um, So you mentioned something about the hero's journey and the fool's journey. Are those two different things? Because I am familiar with tarot, um, but I know a lot of people aren't. Uh, But I didn't know that was
2: also aligned with the hero's journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I can tell you formally, I wouldn't say that that's something that I've read, but it's something that I speak about often in my classes. And it's because, you know, one of the things I teach tarot classes as well as read. And I tell a lot of my students the thing that you have to be prepared for when you're reading for folks is the, is the, is the people that say, well, that could be applicable to anybody. And the thing is, the fool's journey should be applicable to anybody. We, it's, it's reflective of all the things that we go through in life and the type of, the type of characters that either we come across or embody ourselves. And then, you know, the measure, the value is how we react to what part of that journey that we kind of come across. And so, what I've found comparatively with the hero's journey is you still have that person that is setting out into the world to find something, to find some space, some part of who they are. And often in stories that reflect the hero's journey, it is the person, no matter if they're going to find a parent or maybe a lost home or or whatever, whatever the motivation is, you know, in the hero's journey that the character really is just coming more full circle within themselves. And I feel like that's the part that's super similar to the fool's journey because with the fool's journey, as you know, we go through this process of kind of, you know, the fool comes into the world very unassuming and has to, rightfully so, to be the fool. And then the fool learns how to resource and work outside of themselves. And that's where that magician energy comes in. And then when the fool is learning that they're working outside in the world, uh uh-oh, I have subconscious thoughts that are happening. I have this other experience going on. And that's where the high priestess energy comes in. And then the empress comes through and she says, cosmic creation, you can make your own world. You can create whatever you need to create in life. But what we realize about that cosmic creative force is, you know, if you think about literal birth it's it's chaotic it's wild you know and so what has to happen is that emperor energy comes in because you have to root down that creativity so it has a space to grow from and then uh-oh the fives come in you mean other people are having this experience too there are folks that are structured outside making laws making making a way that i have to i have to integrate this this actualized person i've just become with other folks trying to do the same thing And then as we know in numerology between five and seven, that's where the spiritual challenges start to come in. And that's where the character definition starts coming through. And I feel like that's similar with with your standard, you know, character stories in books. These are people that are just trying to find some part of themselves to become a better version, hopefully than what they were before they came. And the hero's journey, when we get to the end of that, and we're at that judgment space, And we're in that space of reflection and we're looking back at all the deaths and all the restorations in the sun and all of these tower moments and all of this stuff that we've been through, then we can integrate into that world space and become a higher vibration of who we are. And I love that the fool's journey kind of sets us up a little bit more for success than when you think about the hero's journey, because there's a permission there to not be perfect. And there's a permission there to scream and cry in your tower moments and still become this higher, you know, elevation of what you were trying to be in life. And so when I look at my hero's journey that I'm trying to build in my stories, and if you if you read my book, you'll see there's a lot of references in the language of the fool's journey and just and it's and it's really just about, you know, when you're in adversity and you're sitting in challenge. You're in those fives, those minor arcana five moments. How are you going to find grace or hope in that moment? How is that gonna define your character? And so I wanted to take my knowledge of the journey in tarot and the language that we use as a cultist and put that into kind of your standard traditional hero quest story because I love that that finesse of the spiritual experience that comes on the back end of a fool's journey that sometimes we miss in the hero's journey. Sometimes, you know, the patriarchy comes in when we think of like big role films that are talking about a hero's journey. and I'm not gonna say anything because I'm not sure if I can. but you know, it's all about the man came in and he saved the day. or, you know, it's just there's a lot more opportunity to talk about people becoming more well-rounded individuals when we think about it with a little bit more of a spiritual influence, like the fool's journey. So that's a very long winded way (laughs) of me explaining (laughs) kind of the difference or, or how I'm trying to kind of complement the two. No, I, I love it. And
1: I love, I love the idea of how like the fool's journey does have all of these, like, coming into power, realizing that you are trying to integrate yourself with other people and just strive to get to that last card, which is, you know, the world <laughs> and everything's like good and happy so it, I, I love hearing that and recognizing that a lot of our stories and stories and books do follow a hero's journey and a fool's journey and yeah yeah so would you consider mercy's quest a fool's journey then
2: Absolutely, because what she's having to realize, and this is my hope, and I hope this isn't giving away too much of the future because this book is mapped out as a trilogy. I've got the outline finished and it's hard sometimes to speak about it because I see so, so concretely where she's going with all of this. But the thing that I love about that fool's journey when you were talking about getting to the world card, what happens after that? We have to start over again. We become the fool again. And we should want to do that. We should want to become these, you know, integrated full versions of ourself that kind of elevate every single time. And so you're gonna see her, and this is not giving too much away. You're gonna see her in basically three different incarnations of herself. And you're gonna see the human component of her. Um, I don't wanna give away the other two parts of her, but you're gonna see each of those versions go through their own journey almost simultaneously. And you don't need to
1: give any spoilers. I, I'm just <laughs> a little curious, I guess. Um, so you are going to be working on two other books for this trilogy. Is there anything else that's
2: next for you? Yeah, absolutely. I have, uh, when the trilogy is finished, I have, I'm, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with my illustrator for the novel. It's actually a, a pretty famous, well-known illustrator that works with Marvel and heavy metal comics and He's also designed the the Goetia tarot deck, the Natsun tarot deck, Santa Muerta tarot deck. So he's a fairly well-known person. And because of how he kind of, you know, approaches his business and what he's involved, it was very inspiring to me. Mercy is actually going to branch out. So you have the trilogy that's going to cover her story, but there are a couple of other characters that are getting a spinoff. And so we have at least six books in the works for that. I'm also traveling to uh, Mystic South Conference in July in Atlanta to teach a creative writing with tarot workshop. And I'll be there talking about my book. And then also in New Orleans in August, I'm going to be attending Hex Fest, which I'm so excited about that I could scream. And I'll be in the vending section signing books there, but I'll, I'll be participating in taking workshops. And they're going to have Silver Raven Wolf, my inner little teenage witch is about to die over that that fact alone, but they're bringing people from all over the world, famous occultists from all over the world. And so I'm super excited to be sitting in that space. And, and even, you know, if I'm at my little table, you know, at my lonesome, I'm going to be fangirling there. So if if anybody comes to New Orleans, please come say hello to me there.
1: (laughs) And we can definitely link that, um, link that in the notes too because hex fest sounds really fun as somebody that loves to go to those um oddities and curiosities expos that travels around i feel like that's the only time i could really go see some some occult um or meet other occultists um other than the ones that are in minneapolis uh amazing um and is there anything that you would like your readers to know before they pick up the book or um anything that they would like to know about you would like them to know about you
2: I think the biggest thing that I would like everybody to know is if if there is a knowledge of alchemy, hermetics, or any kind of deep occult stuff, you'll see Easter eggs of like transmutation and that process in there. But what I'd like to really make clear is you don't have to have a connection to that world. You can simply be someone that just loves to read, read about you know, witchcrafts and sea dragons and those types of things. And so, even though this book is heavily marketed to kind of a, a witchier, more occult community, and it's written by me, I facilitate uh, spiritual work workshop spaces for people from all backgrounds. And I feel like my writing has a certain tone to it that can also reach people from from different kinds of spaces. So I really hope that people that wouldn't normally maybe get into the occult might, would give this a shot because. There's a beautiful, um, I think, spiritual opportunity for anybody, no matter what path they're on, to kind of relate to this character and what she's going through.
1: Amazing. And how can our
2: listeners find you besides (laughs) Hexfest? So I'm a, uh, you can find me on all social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, which I'm not as active on in Twitter, but it's East SM Author. And you could Google that and pull me up fairly immediate. And you'll see a lot of my uh, aerial stuff, my tarot stuff, and my writing. So
1: Awesome. Uh, well, thank you again for being here today. And thank you to all the listeners out there. Be sure to pick up Mercy's Quest when it comes out on the summer solstice. Uh, yeah thanks for listening
0: friends thank you for tuning in to today's episode of feminist book club the podcast want to be part of the club here's how you can join us obviously subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points follow along on instagram twitter facebook pinterest and tiktok all of those links are in the show notes sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is and check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. well-read woman is a dangerous creature Creature